today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. God loved the world. Do you realize that Jesus Christ died for the sin of all mankind? All mankind. There's none that's left out. It's only effective to those that would call upon him. It's a theological word, the efficaciousness of it. It only becomes effective when by faith we come to receive it. But it's there. The gift is there. The gift is being offered. In order that, as the word says, whosoever will believe upon him shall be saved. Otherwise, they'd have to change the wording of that. God loves the whole world. Jesus died for the sin of all mankind. Pastor David reminds us today, however, that Jesus' sacrifice is only effective for those who accept it. Jesus is waiting with outstretched arms for all to receive him. But it is up to each individual to walk into his embrace. Some choose to turn away and others walk right past him. We need to continue to love those people because God loves them. He desires that all would accept Jesus' gift, but sadly, this will never be the case. Love them still. Now here's Pastor David in the books of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John and Jude as he continues his message, Apostate or Real. But you, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. So in other words, go back to the main thing. Go back to the foundation of your faith. He says how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lust. These are sensual persons who they cause divisions not having the spirit. In other words, they are in the congregation of saints, but they are not believers. They may sound like a believer. They may have the vocabulary of a believer, but they don't have the spirit. And without the spirit of God, they are none of his. They profess, but yet they do not possess. And there is a world of difference there, church. But then he comes again. But you, but you. In other words, he's saying, these guys are going to destruction. But you, you have been called, you who have been sanctified, you who have been preserved. But you, beloved, building up yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourself in the love of God, looking for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And on some Have compassion, but make a distinction. So in other words, some are simply led astray. Some are driving others astray. We can have compassion on those that are being led astray, but we don't have compassion on those that are leading others astray. He says, on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear 
pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by flesh, by the flesh. So in other words, they've been caught up in these lies, they've been caught up in these false teachings, but yet in our compassion we're able to come to them and say, listen, that's not true. That is not true. This is what the Word of God says. There are so many close to Christianity. Close. They'll use Scripture here. They'll use Scripture there. But they do not maintain the truth of the whole Scripture. And because of that, people literally are being led into hell because they're not believing Jesus Christ, the only one to salvation. He says, man, save them with fear. Pull them literally out of the fire. Are there going to be some that are in heaven that smell like smoke? Absolutely, because they've been saved again just just at the very end, at the very end. And then he closes with this. And this is, for me, this is one of the most beautiful doxologies, I think, within the whole Word of God. And I love this. He says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, To God, our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Just a great praise as he's warning the church of all these things. But he says, you know what? I know that my God is able. Guys, our God is able to keep us. But we've got to be seeking after him and not the things of this world. I wanted to get Jude in first before we go over to 1 John. 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. This is the old man John. This is the apostle John. This is the the apostle that uh, in, in, in his gospel account referred to himself as the apostle whom Jesus loved. He was uh, no doubt the youngest of the apostles during that time. He was the one that was uh, put out on uh, the Isle of Patmos, banished on the Isle of Patmos. While he was there, he wrote the book of Revelation. Earlier on, he had written the gospel. Then he wrote the book of Revelation. Now we've got these three letters from him. By the time these three letters are written, John is a very old man. He's the only one of the apostles that we know of that died a natural death. All the rest of them, again, were martyred. John lived probably on into his 90s. He was truly an elder of the church, and he was one of those guys that, man, the church looked up to uh, because of all that he had gone through for the faith and, again, just the wisdom that God had given to him uh, and, and, and the ministry that he had. The whole purpose of the writing of, of John, he actually lays it out for us. There's, there's four different areas where he says, I write to you, but I want, you to, I want us to start with the last one first. Go to chapter 5 of First John and down in verse 13, because I believe that this sets the pattern for the rest of the book. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. He says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. He wanted the church to have a confident assurance of their faith. 
It's not a situation where I go all through life, are you saved? Well, I hope I am. I hope I am. Man, if I persevere long enough, maybe I will be. I just don't know. Uh, Man, I keep working toward it. No, he wants the church to know. No, you who believe, I write these things that you might know that you believe, that you have that confident assurance. But in order to have that confident assurance, that's what the rest of that book, the earlier portion of this book is all about. And you know what? Nowhere in here, I've looked, I've I've searched for it, I tried to find it. There's nowhere in 1 John where it says you can have the confident assurance of your salvation if you prayed that prayer or signed that card. Guys, that's not in there. That is not our confident assurance of our salvation. The confident assurance of the salvation of any is the work of God within our lives and the impact or the effect of that then in our lives. If I can say that I'm saved and yet it does not impact our lives, I'm deceiving myself. As a matter of fact, and the truth is not in me, John tells me. And over and over, he, he uh, again, warns the church, guys, it's not about saying magic words or having some big emotional surge, and then that's it. It's got to be something that changes lives. Look what he says here, uh, chapter 1, verse 4. In these things we write to you, that your joy might be full. We're going to come back and look at that real quick. Down in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, My little children, these things I write to you so that you might not sin. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. We'll come back and look at that one in a little bit too. Still in chapter 2, look over in verse 26. Verse 26, he says, These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. But let's go on, verse 27. But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you. You don't need that any teach you, but at the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie. Just as it is taught you, you will abide in him. So in other words, in that he's saying, because you have that anointing, the Holy Spirit working in you. Again, the word tells us elsewhere that uh, his spirit uh, agrees with my spirit, connects with my spirit, that I am a child of God. So what is, what is John writing to us here? Forty times he says, to know, to know. I think John wants you to know. I think he wants you to be assured of your salvation. John is also writing against the the false teaching of what is called the Gnostics. The Gnostics came in uh, and they said that, well, you know, Jesus was just a, a spirit and he wasn't a real man. He didn't have real flesh and blood. You're going to find out John comes against that very hard in the book of John. As a matter of fact, his very opening passages, he says that which was from the beginning, Not that we've heard, the thing that we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon, our hands have even handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, and we've seen it, we bear witness, we declare to you that eternal life was with the Father and was manifested to us. 
that which we have seen and heard we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write to you that your joy might be full. You see, again, the Gnostics coming in with the false teachings and again, the the burdens and, and the issues and the questions and the doubting that was coming on believers. John says, no, I'm going to give you straight up the truth in order that your joy might be full as believers. He speaks about the fact, this is the message we've heard from him. We're going to declare to you that God is light. In him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him, here's one of the checks in our lives. And he gives all through here moral tests. He gives social tests. And he gives doctrinal tests. And they're tests for each one of us that we have to pass. Moral tests, how we live our lives. Social tests, how we interact with others. And doctrinal tests what we actually believe. And here's one at the very beginning. This is a moral test. If we, verse six, if we say that we have fellowship with him and yet we're walking in darkness, we fail the moral test. We're not practicing the truth. But if we walk in the light as he's in the light, yeah, we're having fellowship and having fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. But he wants you to he wants you to understand. But if we say that we have no sin, he says you're deceiving yourselves. The truth isn't in you. A lot of times we'll look at that and say, oh no, I don't sin in that. Uh, I've never disliked any of my Christian brothers. I've always loved every Christian brother and sister that I've ever met. And he said, nah, now you're lying, okay? Uh, there, there are issues that every one of us need to deal with. He says, if you say that you've never sinned, you're just deceiving yourselves and the truth isn't in you. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful. He's just to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we've not sinned, guess what? We're calling God a liar because God says you did sin. That's why I'm sending my son and his word is not in us. And then verse two or chapter two, My little children, these things, again, I write to you, and I write these things to you that you would not sin. In other words, he's not saying take that as just kind of a free reign that, oh, yeah, well, you know, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I live any way that I want, and I'm going to sin, but God gives forgiveness. No, John says, I'm writing these things to you that you might know how you need to live. And you need to live with that goal of not sinning, not obeying the flesh, not being deceived by the deceiver, not being led astray by the things of the world. He says, I write these things that you would not sin, but if you do. And I love the, the, the reality of what John says here. But if you do, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. When was the last time you used propitiation in your normal conversation? It's the absolute covering and doing away with. The propitiation for our sins. And it's interesting what John says here. And not for ours only. But what does it say there, church? Also for the whole world. You know, that reminds me of a verse that John wrote in his gospel account. Something about, for God loved 
a portion of the world. It's not what it says, is it? For God loved the world. Do you realize that Jesus Christ died for the sin of all mankind? All mankind. There's none that's left out. It's only effective to those that would call upon him. It's a theological word, the efficaciousness of it. It only becomes effective when by faith we come to receive it. But it's there. The gift is there. The gift is being offered. In order that, as the word says, whosoever will believe upon him shall be saved. Otherwise, they'd have to change the wording of that. They'd have to change the word. Not whosoever. As long as that portion would come and believe. But you see, I believe it's wide open. His sin, not just for our sins, but for the whole world. Now, here we come again. Here's one of these tests. It's by this that we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, and yet does not keep his commandments, John says, you're a liar. And the truth is not in him. Whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. And by this, that's how we know that we are in him because we're obedient. So what happens when we're unobedient. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. That's when we sin. But beloved, we cannot just completely say, well, yeah, but I just don't keep any of the commandments and I'm going to live any way that I want. That's not what he's writing here. Don't even go that direction. He says there is a test that you and I ought to see in our life. Are we striving, are we desiring to keep that moral test, to pass that moral test, to pass that social test, to pass that doctrinal test? Every once in a while we struggle, every once in a while we stumble. We've got an advocate with the Father. It's not that we lose our salvation. It's that once again we've got to go back, again, confessing our sins, restoring that fellowship with him. He who abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. He says, I'm not writing to you a new commandment, but it's an old commandment. You've had it since the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. And again, a new commandment I will write to you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. We're not in ignorance anymore. If you are a believer, you're no longer in darkness. You ought to be in the light because the Holy Spirit is abiding in you. The Holy Spirit revealing his word to you. No longer in the darkness. The darkness passing away. But you know what? Verse 9. If you say that you're in the light and yet you hate your brother, guess what? You're still in the darkness. But he that loves his brother actually abides in the light and there's no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he's going. Why? Because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Sin has blinded his eyes. That's why the word says, man, examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. Do you pass these tests? Oh, man, I I, I failed that one today. Have you confessed it? Have you gone back to the Father? Have you made it right? Have you made reconciliation if necessary? Have you repented of it? If you can continue to walk in failure of the moral and the social and the doctrinal test that John has here, I I say in, in, in accordance with God's word, I don't care what you prayed 
10 years ago or 20 years ago. You're not in the light. And that's according to his word. Yeah, this is heavy stuff. Here in verse 12 through 14, some say, well, this is almost like a um, hymn or a writing, you know, that was common among the believers. He puts the believers in, in three different categories, as children, as fathers, as young men. Children we can look at, again, as very immature, new believers in Christ. Uh, the fathers, those that have been believers, they're mature in their walk. They've been on that journey for a while. And then the young men, they're, they're the ones that are right in the middle of it right now. They're, they're growing, they're struggling, they're having victory. They're, they get a failure, but they continue to press on again for the glory of Christ. He says, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. Man, that's just an assurance. And your sin is forgiven. You've come by faith to Christ. He says, I write to you, fathers, why? Because you've known him. You've had a relationship with him. And you're growing in that. And your maturity shows that. I write to you, young men, because you've overcome the wicked one. You've got this daily battle. You're, you're, you're not quite all mature yet. You're still struggling in your walk. But you're seeing, again, you're able to overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you've known the Father, just the sweetness of that. I write to you, fathers, because you've known him, once again, who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong. The word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. Again, it, it just seems like it's a, a song or a hymn or just a, a word of encouragement there. But look at verse 15. Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, you failed the moral test. And the love of the Father is not in you. Because all that's in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the, or the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, That's not of the Father, but it is of the world. And many have taken this and said, man, that's just like the, again, the the temptations of Christ uh, there in the the wilderness just after his baptism, Uh, that, that, that lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. It's the same tricks that the enemy's been throwing at us for since since the beginning, guys. Since the very beginning. The lust of our flesh the desires of our eyes, the greed, all that's there, the pride of our life getting in the way. He says the world's passing away and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Little children, this is the last hour. And you've heard that the Antichrist is coming. Well, even now there's a lot of Antichrists here, not with a capital I, but there's a lot that are just against Christ. That's how you know that it's the last time. Well, if John is writing at around uh, uh, 70 or even after the fall of the temple, 80 AD, and he's saying the last hour is in, guess what, guys? We still in the last hour. We just in the last of the last hour. And if the Antichrist were then, you know that there's even more now, again, preaching falsehoods and trying to drag them away. But catch what he says because this is of utmost importance, verse 19. They went out from us, these deceivers, these false teachers, these that are, John says, they are anti-Christ, they are against Christ. These went out from us, but they were not of us.
Have you noticed a theme weaving its way through Pastor David's messages and really through the Bible? That theme is salvation. It's Jesus. From the very beginning, God planned for His Son to come save the world from its sins. You find this plan ingrained in His Word, in the lives of the key people of Scripture, and in the words of truth each book provides. We're so glad you're on this journey with us. Through the Bible, we pray you're finding Jesus not just in the text, but in your everyday life, too. If you'd like to hear today's teaching again, you'll be able to listen online at theopenword.com. There's several messages there, in fact, and many of them go even more in-depth through a verse-by-verse study of each individual book of God's Word. That website again is theopenword.com. Before our time is up with you today, we'd like to turn it back over to Pastor David for a quick request for you, our listener. Yeah, thanks, Chris. I wanted to take a moment and ask you to be praying for the ministry of The Open Word. I know God is working through the messages I've been able to share, and He's opening hearts to His love every step of the way. As Chris was saying, this book I'm teaching from is just filled with grace, and I want everyone to know about it. Would you pray that more and more people would come to know the saving grace of Jesus? Would you pray too for all of us who are creating the Open Word program? We want to keep focused on Jesus, not on us. Thanks so much for praying, and thanks for joining me today on The Open Word. Make us more.